Welcome to Seniority Authority, the podcast where I track down experts to answer your questions on aging. I'm your host, Kathleen Toomey. Let's get smarter about growing older. It's happened to all of us. A friend has experienced a death, and we don't know what to say or do. We want to fix it, but we can't. So sometimes we do nothing. Culturally, we are uncomfortable around death and don't know how to help our grieving friend. Taya Dunn-Johnson wants to fix that. She knows from experience all the wrong ways people try to comfort someone and has insights into different solutions that could make a difference. She knows from experience. As a 35-year-old mom with a -a three-and-a-half-year-old autistic son, her husband died suddenly and young from a heart attack. The life she had imagined for herself was over, and the business of death took tremendous emotional energy. That journey inspired Taya to help others, and she began writing and speaking about her experience. Her online article, Please Read This Before You Post Another RIP on social media, has been shared over 4 million times, and she is currently at work on a memoir and a fiction book a podcaster, speaker, and workshop facilitator. This month, Taya received her master's degree from Marion University in Thalontology, the study of grief, death, and bereavement. Thanks to our show sponsor, The Riverwoods Group, Northern New England's largest family of not-for-profit continuing care retirement communities, where independent, active adults find purpose, community, and peace of mind. Visit us at riverwoodsgroup.org. Now, let's hear from today's guest. Thank you so much for joining Seniority Authority, Ataya. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Not many people could have taken the tragedy that you experienced and woven it into such gold, a beautiful focus on helping others. I am so grateful that you're doing this work. And you told me when we talked earlier that your goal is simple. If we had a few more conversations about death, it will help those left behind. Can you talk more about what you mean by that? Death is inevitable. You know, we like to not think about it because, of course, as we're living life and enjoying, you know, our family, our friends, our jobs, the things that we create and the things that we collect, no one wants to think about no longer being here. And you don't like to think about the people you love no longer being here, but it is coming and we don't know when or why. And so as we live our lives to the fullest, one of the simplest things we can do is to plan for the day that we won't be here, taking some of the emotional burden and the logistical nightmare away from our families when they are at their wits end dealing with our death. So the more we prepare in advance, we actually help them going forward. So it's really a gift to the people that we love. That's exactly what it is. A little bit of pre-planning and preparation, some hard conversations, all the things that we do to prepare for other big things. Like I'm getting married next year, you say, and and then you don't do any planning until the eve of your wedding. You wouldn't do that. Or you would say, oh, you know, so-and-so is going to college in the fall. Let's pack the night before we take them. You don't do that. <laughs> all the big life events that we look forward to, we plan. So no one's looking forward to death. 
So you're not thinking, let me plan that. But if you did think about how much easier it would be for the people who actually then have to execute things when you do die. So I love to do a little myth busting on the show always. Okay. So let's talk about the myth and the assumption that if you talk about death, it will come for you faster. I don't know where that came from, but it's like people don't want to talk about it because they don't want to think it's coming. What, where, where did that come from? I think discomfort. It's like, you know, okay, I'm going to buy a yellow beetle. So now all of a sudden you see beetles on the road every day, right? So all of a sudden now beetles are in your consciousness. So I think people assume that the more we talk about it, it must be swirling closer. I must be trying to make death come. Or if you talk about it, that's bad luck or it's a bad omen, bad spirit, those kind of things. Death is coming. We don't know when and, and we don't know how, but preparing for it doesn't make it come any faster. It doesn't exacerbate the process or, you know, speed up your clock. You know, it's like, oh, she's talking about it. Get her. Hit the button. Yeah. <laughs> she's, got, she's got a few hours left now. It, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't. I promise. Thank you. Thank you for breaking that myth. Yeah. But, you know, you've just spent a lot of time studying this topic as well as having this harrowing, life-changing experience. Why do we even need to talk about death? How does that help? And I'm thinking right now of my Irish Catholic stubborn parents, you know, I mean, like they would say, yeah, I'm going to die. I don't want to talk about it, you know, or the Italians. I don't want to talk about it. How is it helpful to talk about death? It's helpful because the more that we embrace and accept the unknown the better off we leave our family and loved ones. And we can also tamp down some of our own anxiety. So a lot of the the anxiety that people focus on about death is at the hands of, oh, the boogeyman, right? It's this imaginary black cloak that's going to descend upon your life and destroy everything. But if we sort of make an effort to reframe that and not make death the great boogeyman, we would be a little better off. So if we decide that, you know what, I'm buying a new car and I'm going to get the lowest interest rate possible and I'm going to get insurance on the car and then the credit union tries to sell you the little death protection thing. Oh, no, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. Why don't you want that? Why don't you want that? Like you should want that because a year from now, two years from now, you plan this purchase and this idea that something is going to come to kind of throw you off your access, prepare for it. The more that we embrace it in our daily lives to accept that it is coming and that we would be more confident and more comfortable if we took the control that we do have, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know when it's coming. That's inescapable. Even people who have you know debilitating diseases and internal diseases and things of that nature, we still don't know the minute of the hour, you know, but- if we took control over the few things that we do in advance, that would help ease some of our anxiety and frustration as death approaches. That makes a lot of sense. And and another myth that we all know is that we believe we're promised a long life and we operate and live as though we're promised a long life. And no one did promise us that. Okay. So- how does that impact our willingness to talk about death? And from your experience, when is the right age we should be talking about death? 
<laughs> birth, <laughs> right? You know, we're under the illusion um, that we're all going to live the great fairy tale, right? And so the fairy tale is you're born, you're perfect, 10 fingers, 10 toes, nothing's wrong. You're born into a loving family. Um, you have the, the childhood of your dreams with amazing memories, et cetera, high school, college, trade, the military, whatever, you know, your manifestation is. And then you're going to meet a lovely boy or girl and you're going to get married and you're going to have children. And then you're going to, you know, walk your daughter down the aisle, all these things, you know, you can help your daughter find her wife, who knows, whatever you visualize for your future, for yourself and for your children is a dream. It's our hope. It's what we would ideally like our life to turn into, but it doesn't typically happen that way. And because we've put so much, so much of our energy and so much of our dreams and we have timetables, right? You can vote at 18, you can drink at 21, then it's college, then it's marriage, then it's this. And we have all these arbitrary dates and times. So we assume that everyone gets the full course, that yeah. everyone's going to make it through those milestones and get married, have children, have grandchildren, eventually, you know, retire, travel, do things in this order. And when that doesn't happen, it knocks everyone off their axis. Recognize that a long life was not promised to any of us. We would like to have long lives and we would like to, you know, have things flow in the so-called natural order where the oldest get to hand the reins of the family over to the next generation. And then that generation takes over and the older generation ages gracefully. And then eventually, you know, unfortunately, then they pass away. We think that natural order is going to happen and that you're going to mourn your parents. And then, you know, children are going to mourn their grandparents, but then children die and mm. teenagers die and 20 year olds die. And the natural order is upset because the 60 year old person doesn't understand why they lost their grandchild, right? Because in your mind, that's not the right order. It's not supposed to happen like this, but that's just in our minds. And as a society, we've almost programmed ourselves to believe that we all are promised a long life and we're not. And so I think that death then is the boogeyman. It comes and it steals all our hopes and dreams. Like It takes it all away because you promised that I would make it into my 80s and 90s. You promised mm -hmm. that I would see my grandchild graduate college. You promised, but no one, no one promised us that. And that's a hard reconciliation. Like that's a hard moment to say, you know what? I'm going to live every day at the best I can to the fullest of my abilities. I'm going to have hopes and dreams. But acknowledging that you might not get there, you might not get to that age, you might not make those golden years, you might not get to, you know, achieve all those things. So I, I think if we just sort of shift it, reframe it, if we don't feel like something's been stolen from us, we would might take the sting of death a little differently. So if we don't feel as entitled as we do to a long life. Yes. That we assume this is our this is our gift. This is what we will absolutely inherit. And you don't yes. necessarily yes. inherit that. My grandmother used to say every day in the land of the living is amazing. She counted every day that she was here because then that's you embracing life, right? So you can have the hopes and dreams, but just appreciate the gift that you are receiving and don't think about the one that could be snatched away, right? And I think this goes to what I talk to our listeners about often, which is reframing getting older, that this is a gift 
Not everyone gets to unwrap. Not everyone gets to grow older. So let's please stop primarily being negative about being older. I understand it's not easy. Mm -hmm. It's not easy for any of us, but Mm -hmm. let's reframe it as a more positive experience versus, oh, I'm old because there's no getting older and getting younger, you know? There's no such thing. Traditionally, you say, okay, don't ask a woman her age. I will happily and gladly tell anyone I meet my age. I am 47 and I, I love life. And every single day that I get to age another day, every birthday to me feels like a gift. Like I know very intimately. You do. They have a short life, right? When I'm here, how do you feel today? Amazing. Even on days when I'm crying my eyes out, I still feel amazing because I have the ability to do that because I'm alive. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you that's, and unfortunately you learned that lesson the hard way. You do. You do. Well, you said that when people have this conversation that we're talking about, that we should have a conversation about death. You were talking to me about covering four important questions as a first step to help your loved ones deal with the business of death. So an important thing I think you're sharing with us is, number one, have the conversation because it is a gift to the people that you love. And number two, you have some very practical advice as to what you need to do in this conversation. Yeah, I I think that you start the conversation and it's pretty basic. It's can we have a serious conversation and you want to talk to your loved ones, whether that's your spouse or your children, you know, adult children and or your adult parents and whichever direction you're taking the conversation. Or maybe it's a big family conversation. Depends on the dynamics. Right. And so you initially want to say, you know, can we talk about the important stuff? Right. And you want to know, you know, can you please share with me how you feel, you know, about death? I mean, oh goodness, that's too much. Okay, fine. Well, back up a little bit. That's okay. That's okay. Can you let me know the important things about your finances? Do you have a will? Can you share your passwords and things with me? And do you have any final wishes? Do you have anything you would like me to do when you do pass away? I'm not wishing death on you. I don't want it to come anytime soon, but help me prepare and be a lot less stressed about the logistics because I'm going to be emotionally devastated when you die. So could you help me now in advance prepare some of the logistics so that I won't be as distraught on that level when you die? Okay. That's good. So you ask for, do they have a will? Yes. What are their passwords? Right. And do they have any final wishes? Is there anything they would like to do? Do They want to have their ashes tossed. They want to be buried, cremated, have a big party, don't have a big party, all of those kinds of things. Absolutely. And some people will still run from that conversation. Mm-hmm. Some peers will take it as an open door and just share with you more than you could possibly have imagined. You don't really know until you get into it. Important stuff, important papers, all your passwords, important passwords, and then your wishes, right? The, that, that's, that's, that's the crux of it. Those are the most important things as you're, as you're moving toward thing, a, a conversation. And, and that's, That's a short amount, in a way, that's a short amount of information to put down to Mm -hmm. save your 
child or your spouse uh, or your friend a huge amount of hassle when mm-hmm. it and I think what you're saying is let me mourn you don't let me be stressed over obligations I have to do for you that I don't know where where they are so let yeah. me be in that emotional moment correct on a level that that makes sense and is not destructive or negates me from actually performing some of the legal and logistical things. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I, my husband died without a will um, because we were young, <laughs> you know, we were yeah. young. and we're not supposed to die young. So, you know, we've got a three-year-old, we're in our thirties, we've got a house, you know, we're not supposed to die. So he died without a will because, because we were young. And so over the, you know, the course of many months, um, I spent a ton of time in my county's probate office and courthouse. And I had many breakdowns there because in the moment when your life has fallen apart and emotionally, I've got to, I'm a widowed woman in her thirties with a nonverbal autistic son. And my life for 20 years has just fallen apart. And I'm at the probate office and I haven't calculated my paperwork correctly and they don't take cash. They only take checks. I wrote the check out in advance. It's already written. It's the wrong amount. And they're like, sorry, come back tomorrow. And uh, you you just crumble sometimes because the way of it all is too much. And for someone who is dealing with so many emotional layers, if you can do the smallest thing in advance to prevent that, to avoid that extra stress on your loved one, we should want to do that. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. No one wants someone they care about to spend hours in probate and be so stressed and you on top of it with with a small child and your husband would not have wanted that for you. Absolutely not. Absolutely. And obviously in hindsight, it's like, don't if we had just had wills. (laughs) No, but but you don't think about it. You don't. And so I lecture my family and friends and young people that I encounter. And I'm like, get it together. Get it together. Talk to your parents. Talk to your spouses. You're young. You have young children. You know, oh, I don't have anything. I don't have any assets. That doesn't matter. It's not about it's not about that. It's not about what you think you don't have. It's what you really do have. And you have a life. You have a presence on this earth. So therefore, you need a will. You know, and obviously the older you get, when you have more property, more layers, perhaps more complications, first marriages, second marriages, all kinds of, you know, things, you need things on paper, you need it written down so that people don't have to stress and try to unravel your life after you've gone. Exactly. And just like the game of telephone, don't assume that people will know because people don't know and you know, people will misunderstand and will they'll disagree about what they think you want. So just, okay. just, I like to frame it in a way that if you enjoy control, if you want to, <laughs> if you've worked your whole life and you've saved money, you've bought a house and, and you have an idea what you want to do, write it down. Lay it out. Otherwise, it out. <laughs> you don't know. Right. You, you don't can know. be a great architect if you do it in advance. But if not, people get to make all kinds of decisions and choices. And unfortunately, the thing that we also see and that I think most people learn firsthand the bad way is that in highly emotional states, 
all kinds of personality conflicts, all kind of historical feuds and family arguments all come back to the surface during the weeks and months after a loved one dies. No one needs that. So no. if, if you can if you can put some things in print, write them down, get, get them straight. Let people do it and execute the wishes that you would have had. If you're getting smarter, let us know. Leave us a review, a rating, wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell your friends and follow us on social. We're at Seniority Authority on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And don't forget, if you're listening to YouTube, hit the notification bell so you can subscribe. Or subscribe to our newsletter at SeniorityAuthority.org so you don't miss a thing. You have a philosophy you suggest because, you know, a, a lot of our audience are older adults and a lot of older adults are reluctant to talk about death. But your perspective is that if you are an older adult and you have adult children, that you should think about this conversation as the final lesson for your children to prepare them for losing you that you have yeah. as a parent, one more thing to do. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, we as parents, we have children and and we start to pour into them, right? Mm-hmm. Everything from, you know, potty training and this is how you use a knife, this is how you cut your steak, this is how you study, this is how you become teenagers, let me teach you how to drive, balance your checkbook, let me teach you about the world. It is your job to pour into little people to turn them into adults, your adults, right? And the one thing that we fail to teach them is how to live when I'm gone, right? And so one thing you can do while you're alive, while you're with us, and while you know you are in a teaching mode is teach them how to prepare for that. Show them where your passwords are. Show them where your will is. Show them that you have one. Talk to them about your wishes. Give them that final lesson so that when it comes time, and instead of you being the first person they call, they can't call you. You know, mm-hmm. they can't call you at midnight to say, mom, the baby won't go to sleep. What do I do? Hey, dad, my car won't start. What do I do? You know, because now mom or dad is dead. So who do they call? Right. So if you see yourself as a great parent, another way to secure that is to give them this lesson. Teach them this. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. One of the reasons that you became very prominent on social media and the world is this wonderful article that you wrote, which if you are not one of the 4 million people that have read this article, you can find it in the show notes. It gives some great examples of what not to do when we learn that someone has passed away. So we know from that article what not to do. From your experience, give me some practical examples of how we can help a grieving friend. The biggest thing, sort of the central tenant that I try to tell people is be present, right? And that that takes many forms. So the easiest thing to do is to, number one, just touch base, right? Call and or text and just say, mostly was, I don't know what to say. Keep it simple. I am so sorry. I don't know what to say. You can literally say those two sentences and that begins your support of that person. They are aware 
That's it, right? Then to take it a step further, depending on who it is, if it's a neighbor, you know, collect their mail, stop by one day and cut the grass, et cetera. Have dinner delivered. Check in with someone who's really close to them to see, you know, kind of what's going on, what's happening. Oh, we've got an issue. And every day we're doing stuff this week and no one can pick up, you know, little Johnny from daycare. I can. I can pick him up. I can volunteer to do that. So find ways to sort of be helpful because one of the things that we tend to do naturally is to say, call me if you need anything, Mm. if you need anything. But what that does is that puts the pressure and the burden on the grieving person to verbalize their needs. And at the moment when your brain is short circuiting and you've got emotions and logic and business and legal and bureaucratic and perhaps, you know, police, you've got all kinds of things happening, you know, in the days and weeks following a death. I can't possibly iterate to you what I need. I need help. That's what I need. I need help. You position yourself in such a way that you find out who the closest people are. And if you're the closest, then you just got to figure it out. Take your blinders off and say, okay, what needs to be done here? Like what needs to be done? And then you do it. Like, you know, okay, they they need clothes for the funeral. Let me put those in the cleaners. Let me take, you know, Johnny to get a haircut. You know, who's going to do Susie's hair? You know, you figure out these things to do and you just do them. Action. It's about action. And different people will say, well, you know, she's normally in control of everything. I don't know how to insert myself into her life or his life. Okay. And that's fine. You don't have to insert yourself, but find a point of insertion, find Mm -hmm. a person whom you know and trust that is close enough to identify the person's needs and then do something. It could be delivering a basket of wine on the front porch. It's the smallest things that just help that person because a grieving person is making, you know, 3,001 decisions. So take one decision away and just help. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Just take action and, and don't be afraid to call. Don't be afraid to call. People yeah. avoid it, right? Like people kind of yeah. avoid, they avoid the newly bereaved because, yeah. oh, what do I say? Oh, I'm going to bother her. Ooh. You know what? If you call and I can't answer, I'm not answering. If you call and I want to talk, I'll answer, right? So you don't have to try to control the situation. Take your perspective and say, I want them to know I'm thinking about them and then act on that. It is then the other person's choice whether or not to receive your call, to reply to your text, et cetera. Don't put the pressure on them or don't think that, you know, you're, oh, I'm going to burden them. No, 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 no. They're still an adult. They can decide. And when it's good, they'll answer. When it's not, they won't. But they still know you tried and your intentions are clear. And I think that outpouring, that hearing from people is so important because you can feel so alone when someone important passes away that you just feel alone and people kind of have to push themselves, insert, find a point of insertion, find a letter or card or meal or wine or an errand. You know, I mean, who wouldn't want somebody to take your errands for you for a day? And it can be overwhelming. I mean, I think there were days in the beginning, I know there were days in the beginning where my call log was full and I had 20 missed calls. And I mean, people I hadn't talked to since high school and, you know, that kind of stuff. And on some days I ignored them all. But sure. on days when I felt like talking, 
I didn't feel like I was searching for someone to talk to. I could clearly look in my text and in my phone, who tried to reach me, who wanted to check on me. And now that I'm ready to talk, I'm going to go to those same people who tried. You know, I don't have to search. I don't have to sit there and be lonely. Well, no, no one's even called to check on me. No, tons of people called to check on me. And now I can go to those open points and have a connection. That's fantastic. You know, when you were talking about your thesis, it Mm -hmm. delves into culturally appropriate grief support for African-Americans. And this could be a whole nother podcast, but what are the one or two takeaways that you found in your study of this that you think would be interesting for our listeners? You know, I think that as an interdisciplinary science, thanatology is one of the newer sciences. And so since its establishment, it has been studied and focused mostly on white Eurocentric American ideals about death and bereavement and and funerals and such. And culturally, we all inhabit the United States, but we are not the same right? Our family structures, the ways in which we experience joy and grief are not inherently the same. And so what that means is that a lot of the literature and the data that exists doesn't take the African-American experience into account at all. And historically, those of us who are descendants of slaves from Africa, our experience in the United States is different. The ways in which we gather and celebrate historically are different than the dominant culture. And so what happens then is that from a medical perspective, if you don't have grief therapists and psychologists and bereavement counselors who are aware of all the nuances culturally of what may or may not seem appropriate to them, oftentimes, uh, you know, bereavement is maligned and it's not authentically appreciated for what it is. African-Americans, I cannot speak for every Black person on the planet, but what I can say is that regardless of where you live in this country, what you identify as in terms of your religious perspective, um, your socioeconomic status, et cetera, if you say the word homegoing to a Black person, 90%, I'm guessing, will know what that is. If you say it to those within the dominant culture, 90% probably don't know what it is, right? So when you have those little nuances, so and that's kind of a big one because that means the homegoing is another word for funeral. It's a celebration of life. And it typically relates to how people feel about returning to God. That's where it came from. Like you're going home to be with God after you die. And so typically we turn funerals into homegoings, into celebrations. They're not always all dressed in black. Sometimes there are, you know, are colors and there's music and there's lots of pictures and it's a joyful celebration. There's crying, there's mourning, but it's also joyful. If all you've studied is the dominant culture and you are used to quiet celebrations, everyone's in black, there's no music, there's no this, there's no that, the family doesn't really gather and then it's over. And then you see this, you're like, what is wrong with these people? Well, nothing's wrong with them. It's maladaptive if you don't recognize that there are cultural differences. And so I'm hoping that by talking more about death education and making people a little more culturally aware that there are, you know, differences and nuances. And again, obviously, you know, Northern African-Americans, Southern African-Americans, West Coast. And then when you talk about immigrants and you talk about those who are not first generation here from the islands and things like that, that's different too. But culturally, there is some connectiveness that's different than the dominant culture. 
it sounds wonderful. I've I've read and heard about homegoing celebrations and the very idea that you're returning to God and that's another life. And just what your grandmother said earlier when you quoted her, it, this land of the living, defining we are in a land of living and then we are going home to a different land. That's so rich and it's so hopeful as a way to think about death and to think about our life here. And it's deeply spiritual because it it says this is not the end. This is the beginning. Right. When it's over, we get returned to God. And from those who believe, it's a soothing idea for those who have faith. It helps their grief and bereavement to feel like this is not just the end, like this is all there is. And, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, but your spirit returns to God, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a future there and there's a promise of when I return to God too, then I'll be reunited with my loved ones. So there's levels. And I think that it helps a lot of people in their grief journey when they have a spiritual grounding. Oh, no question. No Mm -hmm. question about that. And that's a Whole nother podcast, <laughs> it is. which I would, which I would love to do. So, if you want to talk further about this, let me know. Audience, if you have more questions about this, let me know. This has been a fantastic discussion. But before I let you go, I want to ask you our little lightning round. Um, okay, ready. This is fast five. So, share with us what your favorite guilty pleasure is. Oh, reality. Oh, reality TV. Especially cooking competition shows. Cooking competition. Okay. All right. That's good. I That is not in my genre, neither cooking nor reality TV, but I get it. I totally get it. Uh, what's your favorite healthy practice? I do morning affirmations and that helped ground me. Dave, I got stickies on my mirror and I have a journal. And so my first 15 minutes when I wake up every morning is just me. It's it's me clearing my head and talking about the things that I, I repeat to myself. I am worthy. Just keep swimming. I have a lot of different things that I say and it helps me to embrace my day. That's wonderful. Nice to get centered. Tell us what's guaranteed to make you laugh. <laughs> Just letting. <laughs> um, what a uh, guaranteed laugh. Um, my family. My family is nuts. Right. <laughs> any any variety or conversation with them, I'm going to laugh. I laugh tons daily. Yeah, my family. That's awesome. That's awesome. What about the last book that you loved? Ooh, the last book that I loved. The last book that I loved was Grieving While Black by Brisha Wade. Um, Ooh, and okay. It's an amazing book. Yes. Grieving While Black by Grisha Wade. Okay, we will find that and put right. that in the show notes. That sounds like a yeah, fabulous awesome. yeah. book. Yeah, it's a good read. It's about all kind of grief and non-death losses and just all kind of stuff. Oh, okay. And your favorite escape? Oh, my favorite escape. My favorite escape is it's reading. I'm such a nerd. Like I've been an only child. And so reading has been my great escape since the moment I could do it. My Kindle probably has a thousand books on it. I still buy hardcover books. I, I love, right. I love to zone out with a book. That's joy for me. That's pure joy. 
Yeah, uh, I I hear you. That is a big, big joy of mine too. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Thank you for yeah. sharing your wisdom. I think we opened a few minds here as to what that conversation could look like when you talk about death, how to reframe it as a gift to the people that you love. And and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's coming, but it doesn't have to be as scary as you probably think it is. So talk about it a little more and help put yourself and your loved ones with a little more ease and a little more preparation. And you'll be so glad on the other side. Thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. This has been great. That's our show for today. If you liked it, please tell your friends so we can reach more minds and keep the conversation going. Or follow us on social at Seniority Authority. I'm Kathleen Toomey. Until next time, enjoy your chance to get smarter about growing older.